John Norton, Chapter Six of Celibates by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. Either of two things: I must alter the architecture of this house, or I must return to Stanton College. Don't talk nonsense. Do you think I don't know you? You are boring yourself because Kitty is upstairs in bed and cannot walk about with you. I do not know how you contrive, mother, always to say the most disagreeable things. The marvelous way in which you pitch on what will, at the moment, wound me most is truly wonderful. I compliment you on your skill, but I confess I am at a loss to understand why you should, as if by right, expect me to remain here to serve as a target for the arrows of your scorn. John walked out of the room. During dinner, mother and son spoke very little, and he retired early, about ten o'clock, to his room. He was in high dudgeon, but the white walls, the prie dieu, the straight, narrow bed, were pleasant to see. His room was the first agreeable impression of the day. He picked up a drawing from the table. It seemed to him awkward and slovenly. He sharpened his pencil, cleared his crow-quill pens, got out his tracing paper, and sat down to execute a better. But he had not finished his outline sketch before he leaned back in his chair, and, as if overcome by the insidious warmth of the fire, lapsed into firelight attitudes and meditations. Nibbling his pencil's point, he looked into the glare. Wavering light and wavering shade flickered fast over the Roman profile, flowed fitfully, fitfully as his thoughts. Now his thoughts pursued architectural dreams, and now he thought of himself, of his unhappy youth, of how he had been misunderstood, of his solitary life, a bitter, unsatisfactory life, and yet a life not wanting in an ideal, a glorious ideal. He thought how his projects had always met with failure, with disapproval, above all failure, and yet, and yet he felt he almost knew there was something great and noble in him. His eyes brightened, he slipped into thinking of schemes for a monastic life, and then he thought of his mother's hard disposition and how she misunderstood him. What would the end be? Would he succeed in creating the monastery he dreamed of so fondly to reconstruct the ascetic life of the Middle Ages? That would be something worth doing. That would be a great ideal. That would make meaning in his life. If he failed, what should he do then? His life, as it was, was unbearable. He must come to terms with life. That central tower, how could he manage it? And that built-out front... Was it true, as the architect said, that it would throw all the front rooms into darkness? Without this front his design would be worthless. What a difference it made! Kitty had approved of it. For a woman she was strangely beautiful. She appealed to him as no other woman ever had. Other women, with their gross display of sex, disgusted him. But Kitty, with her strange, enigmatic eyes, appealed to him like well, like an antique statuette. That was how she appealed to him, as an exquisite work of art. His mother had said that he found Thornby Place dull when she was ill, that he missed her, that, that it was because she was not there that he had found the day so wearisome.
but this was because his mother could only understand men and women in one relation she had no feeling for art for that remoteness from life which is art and which was everything to him his thoughts paused and returned slowly to his architectural projects but kitty was in them all he saw her in decorations for the light timber lantern roof and she flitted through the ambulatory which was to be constructed at the back of the house soon he was absorbed in remembrance of her looks and laughter of their long talks of the monastery the neighbors the pet rooks sammy the great yellow cat and the greenhouses he remembered the pleasure he had taken in these conversations was it then true that he thought of her as men think of women was there some alloy of animal passion in his admiration for her beauty he asked himself this question and remembered with shame some involuntary thoughts which had sprung upon him and which when he listened he still could hear in the background of his mind and listening he grew frightened and fled like a lonely traveller from the sound of wolves pausing in his mental flight he asked himself what this must lead to to a coarse affection to marriage to children to general domesticity and contrasted with this the dignified and grave life of the cloister the constant sensation of lofty and elevating thought a high ideal the communion of learned men the charm of headship could he abandon this no a thousand times no this was what was real in him this was what was true to his nature the thoughts he deplored were accidental he could not be held accountable for them he had repulsed them and trembling and pale with passion john fell on his knees and prayed for grace but prayer was thin upon his lips and he could only beg that the temptation might pass from him in the morning he said i shall be strong end of john norton chapter 6 recording by james carson